even though Paul was locked up, even though a lot of his freedoms had been taken away from him, it didn't affect his ability to be free inwardly. And that's why I've entitled this entire series, True Freedom. Freedom is not so much about outward things, what you can and cannot do. It's an inward heart freedom. And we've talked about how we are free to encourage because that's the first thing that Paul did. He began to encourage this church that he hadn't been to in 12 years. Remember, he did it in three ways, with thankfulness. He also did it with affection. And he did it with a sense of optimism. So those are ways that we can encourage others no matter what our prison might be. You might be in a, in a hospital room. You might be in a, a court situation. You might be in a, a, a bad community, uh, neighborhood. Uh, you might be prison to cancer or arthritis. But you can still encourage other people with a thankful heart, with an affectionate heart, and an optimistic heart. Then last week, we talked about we're free to suffer. Remember that word agon, A-G-O-N, agon? It means conflict or contest. Anytime we're in a conflict or some kind of a contest, anytime we're in agony, which is a word that comes from agon, we are still free to choose whether that suffering is going to separate us from God or if we'll allow that suffering to draw us closer to God. And no one can take that freedom from you. Absolutely nobody can take that freedom from you. I've referred often to Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a, a German doctor who was, um, and he endured years of absolutely unspeakable horror in the Nazi death camps back during World War II. And this is what Viktor Frankl writes. He says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedom, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance. Think about that. That is true freedom. Your ability to choose your attitude no matter what the circumstance is. And that's what we saw in Viktor Frankl's life, Corrie ten Boom, many of the, the great saints of our faith. But we also see it here in the life of the Apostle Paul. There's a scripture in Romans that um, we tend to shy away from a little bit because we don't want to go through all the steps to get to the conclusion. But in Romans chapter 5, verse number 3, it says uh, that we should glory in our sufferings. That's what we talked about last week. Because we know that suffering or agone, agony, produces perseverance. And perseverance will produce character in our life, and character leads to hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to whom has given us. That's a wonderful thing. We all want hope, don't we? We all want hope, so we need to look at this verse backwards. If we want hope, we have to have character. How do you have character? You've got to persevere. You persevere through suffering. So keep the end result of your suffering in mind. 
That's the kind of hope that makes this letter so powerful. Because Paul knew that his physical freedom, even though he was chained to a Roman guard, it didn't matter as long as he remained free in the perspective of God's work in his life. That God was still working in his life and could work through his life. And that's what makes this whole thing connect with me personally and with you. Because we all have our own prisons. We all have physical problems or family problems or work problems or financial problems. And Philippians shows us that even though those outward chains can affect us in our circumstances, there's an inner freedom, friends, an inner freedom that we have to choose God's way, to allow him to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Regardless of the prison walls around us, we're free to shine. We've sung about it already today. We are free to let Jesus shine through our life, through our attitude, through our actions. We are free to shine. Years ago, we sang a chorus, shine, Jesus, shine. Well, how does Jesus, Jesus shine? He shines through us. We are his representatives here on earth. And there's a key passage in today's, uh, or a key uh, verse in today's passage that says that we will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence... But now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation through suffering, through perseverance, through building a character that's in alignment with Jesus, through the hope that we have. Our hope is anchored in Christ and nothing more. It's not anchored in the church, it's not anchored in the pastor, it's not anchored in economic situations, it's not anchored in politics. Our hope is in Jesus alone. We work our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. That's why Paul can say, well, I'm content whether I'm hungry, whether I'm fed, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm free, whether I'm healthy, whether I'm sick. I will be content because I know God is working in me. With that kind of attitude, we can do what verse 14 instructs us. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So we start grumbling when we can't figure out why God has allowed us to be in a certain situation. But we still have the freedom, as Viktor Frankl told us, that we can still let Jesus shine through our life. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Freedom to shine, that's the message today. Freedom to shine. As you hold firmly to what? Not your outward circumstance. You hold firmly to the word of life. Then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. 
But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and will rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Never forget my climb to Mount Adams. It was with... um, a brother from Eastmont Baptist, Joe, who was taking us up to the top of the mountain, Rick Klinge and Scott Lonager were with me, and we were training for our ascent of Mount Rainier. And we were camped on Mount Adams, a place called the Lunch Counter, and then we were going to ascend up uh, to the summit the next day. And Joe says, hey, hey, we, you, 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 you got to get out of the tent. Now, this is like, you know, at midnight, we were all half asleep. He says, look at the stars. And I'll never forget it. I've never experienced anything quite like it. As I got out of the tent and I looked up at the stars and I saw the stars shining more, more brightly, more brilliantly. They were insanely dazzling and brilliant. And I stood in awe because the only light that I could see were the stars. There was no city lights to see. There were no sounds. It was quiet. It was the most amazing thing. And Paul the prisoner is saying to me, Jerry, you have that same opportunity to shine just like that in the world that you live in. To be lights in a world that is increasingly dark. A culture that is increasingly dark. But here's the deal. Sometimes we're fearful to allow our lights to shine. Now we know that a light on a hillside is to shine. You're not supposed to cover it up. We used to sing that little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But sometimes we do cover it up, particularly in this world that we live in. Why? Because we're afraid to stand out. We're afraid people are going to Notice, we want to blend in. We, we don't want them to ask us those hard questions. There's too much risk sometimes in shining. But as the world and our culture becomes more secular, more dark, instead of blending in and being like everybody else, the scripture says, you've got a freedom. And that freedom allows you to be different for the sake of Jesus. It's a good thing. Because our shining, the light and the hope and the truth of Jesus is what the world needs. It's what the people around us need. So here Paul is saying to us, even though he's in prison, we need to allow our light to shine. Man, the reason that those stars on Mount Adams years ago looked so brightly on that night is because of that contrast between dark and light. I've never been ever in a situation that was more dark than it was that night, except for the lights. And I thought, man, as our world grows darker, you and I need to grow brighter and point the way to a loving, good God who wants to reconcile everyone to himself. But to do that, to shine... Now, we've got the freedom to shine. We have the free choice. We can either blend in or we can stand out and shine. 
And in order to shine, there's some things that we need to do. We need to be a little different. <laughs> we have to have a different kind of attitude. We have to have a, a different source of truth that isn't Fox, isn't Newsmax, isn't CNN. Our truth is different than where the world's getting their truth, friends. And then we have to have a different path to joy. So those are the three things I want to explore with you. Let's talk first of all about our attitude. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and complaining. We could probably stop the sermon right here, you know, <laughs> really. In fact, let's just close on prayer and I'll leave. All right. <laughs> do everything without grumbling and complaining. Wow. Now, we can understand that a lot better when we realize where Paul is drawing that image from. That's why context is always so important. Need to go back to the Old Testament for a moment. There's a moment in the life of Israel, God's chosen people during the Old Covenant. They were on their way to the Promised Land, remember? They'd been rescued out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. And they had this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea where where God opened up the, the sea for them. And they were on their journey from Egypt, their old home, to the new home that God's prepared for them. Much like you and I are on a journey right now to our real home where our citizenship is. But shortly after Israel crossed the Red Sea, do you remember something? The food supply ran out. And when people get hungry, they get hangry. And that happened here. And they started to complain. And then they had a hard time finding water. And they complained again. And then as people do, instead of just complaining about their situations, they begin to complain about their leaders. In this case, Moses or Aaron. In our case, it might be in the church, you complain about the deacon board or the pastors. In our world, if we're unhappy, we'll blame Inslee, blame Trump, blame somebody. That's just our tendency. We start grumbling not only about the situation, but about our leaders. And Moses summarizes this attitude the Israelites had in Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you want to look it up, verse 5, I'm just going to refer to it. He calls them a warped and crooked generation. Does that ring a bell to you? I just spent a couple minutes ago that we see Paul using the same word. Not a coincidence. No. That's how the Holy Spirit is so active in, in the writing and in, in using the word to direct us. Paul says that you are a warped and crooked generation, just like the Israelites were a warped and crooked generation. See, Paul knew the Old Testament really well. New Testament hadn't been written, but he knew the Old Testament. So he's challenging the Philippians from a piece of scripture that they would have known. He's challenging them by referring back to the Israelites. He's saying to them, you know the history of our people. You know how easily their attitude slipped into complaining. And then he's warning them. Be careful because it's easy for you to slip back into that same attitude. 
And in 2021, in the United States of America, it's all too easy for us to slip back into that attitude as well, friends. Because everybody else is doing it. Cast the blame and complain about somebody. And despite how God was miraculously providing for them, <laughs> the Red Sea just parted. They always found something to grumble about. And it was tragic because the Bible says specifically that that grumbling kept most of them out of the promised land. Yikes. He says, because you complained against me and didn't trust me, I'm going to banish you to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And most of that generation died and never got to the promised land because of the 40-day delay or 40-year delay because of their grumbling. I'm here to tell you, friends, and, and God has, you know, I, I, I try to only teach the things God is teaching me. But complaining is a big deal to God. I'm, I'm just, I, God's shown that in my life. And, and, and I just want to tell you, complaining is a big deal. Well, we like to, you know, highlight other sins that we don't deal with, that we don't struggle with. We like to point out the speck in the other person's eye instead of looking at the log in our eye. But complaining is a big deal. Why? Here's why. It's a barometer of your heart. It's a barometer of the condition of your heart or the condition really of your faith. So what Paul is saying here is check your heart. Check your attitude. When you find yourself surrounded by complainers, don't be pulled into that darkness. Now it feels comfortable because we're all familiar with it. But we've got to be careful, friends, particularly the day that we're living. I mean, our, our society has taken complaining to a brand new level. Part of that has to do with social media. I understand that. You know, we, we demonize uh, anyone that we don't agree with, whether it's a political opponent. Um, and, and we grumble and we complain and it's become the fabric of our culture. And it's easy to fit in. Don't do it, friends. Let the Holy Spirit allow you to shine. Have a different kind of attitude. The Bible says to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Before Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa, which happened in, in most of our lives, um, he spent 27 years in prison, all for political reasons. 27 years. When he was released, as he was walking out of prison, he writes, and I quote, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. God revealed that to him. He was the most humble, gracious man, even though he had been tormented for 27 years by political opponents. And each one of us has that potential of being bitter in our heart. And if we allow it to, that rises up, it pours out, 
whether that's in complaining or grumbling. And as Mandela says, if we give into that bitterness, it doesn't matter if we're free on the outside. <laughs> We'd still be in prison. True freedom. That's what we're talking about. True freedom. Freedom to shine, to have a different kind of attitude. Paul says, rise above all that and through the power of Christ, walk through your days without grumbling. Use that energy for something better. In this cynical, nasty, complaining society we live in, let's shine like the stars in darkness. The second thing that we must do is not only have a different attitude, but we have to have a different source of truth. Hey, let's pick it up midway here in verse number 15. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now we know technically Jesus is the word of life. John says he is the word, capital W. But we also have the word, the Bible, the small w as well. It's easy for us to be set apart from the darkness of the culture if you derive your, your truth from a different source. People will notice that for you, there's a voice that carries more weight and more authority than other voices. And Paul calls it the word of life. So the word is Jesus, the word is the written word, but the word's also our words. What are we declaring? Are we being hopeful and optimistic? Are we pointing people to the Lord? Paul says, hold firmly above any other voice. And like I say, there's, you know, the, the liberal news media out there, and there's the super conservative media out there. And some people, unfortunately, spend more time listening to that stuff than they do in the word. So who are you a disciple of? Christ? Or Hannity? Whoops, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. I know I, I stepped on some toes there. But what I'm saying, friends, who are we deriving our source of truth from? Could be Anderson instead of Hannity, okay? I gotta give equal time here the other side man sometimes you know it's a politician sometimes it's a professor for many people it's pop culture figures I can't believe how these Hollywood stars make the news every night because of all their drama in their life and there's all these people who have taken up their cause and I think man really it can be a pastor it can be allotted. Make sure that whatever voices you're listening to are subordinate to the word of God. That is what I'm saying. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So if we want to have a perspective on life that will allow us to shine... More enduring than the, you know, latest fad. If we want to have something substantial, 
to allow our lives to shine, we need to find ways to internalize God's word. And that's why we are reading through the Bible. I hope that there's more people this year reading daily than there was last year or the year before. That's why we provided you a daily reading guide. That's why we're gathering on Wednesday nights to talk about what we've read. That's why we give you the daily bread. It's important. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. Because it'll shape your life. So pretty soon, you will have a more optimistic attitude because you've read the book and you know who wins at the end. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So make it a habit to feed yourself day after day. Train your senses. Man, when you hear hear something and, and say, man, that really resonates with the kingdom of God. Or you'll hear something, you'll say, you know, something doesn't sound right about that. And you might not even be aware of those little intuitions, but they're really the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, saying that doesn't line up to the true source of truth. I know that's countercultural. I understand that to hold to God's word more firmly than any other voice. And it will make us unpopular in today's culture. But when you hold firmly to the word of God, you'll please Jesus. Now, you probably won't please anybody else. Because I found that liberal people think I'm way too conservative on certain topics. And I know there are conservative people that think I am way, way too liberal on other issues. That Jesus, in my mind, is made very clear. But it's okay. It's not about popularity. You know, if I wanted to be popular, I'd sell ice cream. You know? I, I <laughs> you can't be a leader and be a pastor and please everybody is what I'm saying. Did you know it's a fact that when Beethoven composed his best music was after he became deaf? If you know anything about classical music, the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven is just a wonderful piece of music. It was composed after he lost his hearing. Deafness, now listen, deafness freed Beethoven as a composer to do his best work because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. And I think if we can be deaf to all these outside voices in our life, we have a better chance of shining like the stars in our world. Maybe one of the reasons, in fact, that Paul himself could write so powerfully from prison, he no longer had... Any input from society. He was in prison. He was alone with God. Alone with the Spirit of God. And that freed him to write with such clarity, some, uh, such timelessness. We're still reading and learning from his words today. So I'm just encouraging all of us, whatever it takes, <laughs> turn down the world's soundtrack so you can firmly hear the word of God. Okay, so we have to have a different kind of attitude. We have to have a different source of truth. If we want to be free to shine, and that's what we're talking about this morning, 
The third thing is we have to have a different path to joy. We should be the most joyful people. You know, we should not be known as the sourpusses of the community. I mean, Christians should be joyful. But it's because we have a different path to joy, and some Christians haven't figured that out. They're still thinking that, oh, I can be joyful if everything works out the way that I want it to work out. But boy, when you read Philippians, this joy book, if I count correctly, Paul mentions joy or rejoicing, some derivative of the word joy, 16 times, 16 times. And we see it here in verses 17 and 18. It says, uh, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad or joyful and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now you might be thinking, well, what does that mean? being poured out like a drink offering. Well, again, we have to go back and understand the context, okay? In the Hebrew temple, one of the offerings offered to God was called a drink offering. And the priest would pour wine onto the altar, sometimes on top of an animal, sometimes on top of wheat or some kind of grain, but it was being made part of what was being sacrificed to God. So think about the drink offering being poured on top of the sacrifice those offered under the Old Testament covenant. So Paul was saying, even if my life is being poured out again in prison, even if I never make it out of here alive, I'm going to die a happy man. I'm glad. I rejoice. And that's an amazing thing to say. Because we're so hardwired to define joy differently than that. We generally define joy when life's going well. Man, I graduated with my degree. We're full of joy. I got the job. I'm engaged. And Paul says, you know, those are all good things. But I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I can still be joyful because I have a different path to joy. We saw that in the first chapter. Paul's absolutely certain at the moment that his heart stops beating, he's going to be with God. Remember, he says, to me, to die is to gain. To depart and to be with Christ is far better than anything I have here. So what he's saying is that literally nothing, not even death itself, can take away my joy. Because there's nothing that could happen to me that doesn't end well. Nothing. Suzanne, in her teaching Wednesday night, talked about the three winds of healing. Oh, man. You know, if you're sick and we pray and you're instantly healed, it's a win. If you're sick and you have to go to the doctor and get some antibiotics, but you're healed, it's a win. And for a Christian, if you get sick and you end up dying, it's a win. <laughs> not trying to be morbid here, but that's really true, isn't it? Because our joy, our joy, it's a win-win-win situation. Because there's nothing that can happen in a person's life who is 
fully committed to Jesus and to the goodness and the love of God, there's nothing that happens that doesn't end well. And that's what Paul was saying here. I might be being poured out, I might be in prison, I might die here, but I'm still joyful. I once heard a pastor or a professor, somebody, maybe it was one of you, I, I don't remember the source, but somebody made a statement, never postpone joy. I've got that written in my journal. Never postpone joy. I need to hear that, friends, because there's a part of me that feels like, well, as soon as I get this task done, as soon as this relationship is reconciled, as soon as this event happens, you know, it's like joy is like elusive. Part of me that feels like joy is always just around the corner. It's like when you got your kids in the car and they say, when are we going to be there? And you say, just around the corner. You don't tell them which corner, but you know what I mean? I'll, I'll truly be happy as soon as I get my car paid off. I'll truly be happy as soon as I get a better job. On and, as soon as I you know, finish my degree, or as soon as I pay this debt or recover, never postpone joy. Because joy is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Because if you keep on waiting for joy, before you know it, life's gone by. And you've missed those magical moments that God wants to bless you. On the beach, on the mountain, over a nice dinner with friends. On Christmas morning, you've missed those magical moments. Paul found his joy in Christ. Nothing could take that away. I urge all of us to find our joy in Christ as well. We need a different kind of attitude. If we're going to shine, we need a different source of truth. If we're going to stand out from the darkness of society and we need a different path to joy. That's the kind of life that will stand out, friends. And here's the thing. If we resist blending in and if we just allow people to see Christ in us, it'll have a strong transformational effect on the people who are watching us. I want to end with an illustration that is really powerful. So if your neighbor is asleep, would you wake him up for this? Because this is going to be good. New York Times has a columnist. He's an editorialist. He just shares his opinion. He's not a reporter. He doesn't report the news. His job is to share his opinion. New York Times, pretty liberal. His name is Nicholas Kristof, K-R-I-S-T-O-F, Nicholas Kristof. A few years ago, he wrote a column about evangelical Christians. And he started out by saying that so many evangelical Christians, and particularly their leaders, act hypocritical. That they really don't reflect Christ. I mean, we all can think of examples of men and women who didn't do a real good job in representing Jesus in their ministries, in their church. So he talked about the hypocrisy of Christian leaders. 
And then he wrote this, and I'm going to read it. This is a quote. But in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I've seen so many others. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. But most important, Christians go to the front lines first, at home or abroad. In the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, or genocide, the bravest people you'll ever meet are evangelical Christians who truly are living their faith. What a powerful witness. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. They will see the deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I think about how this church has for years supported Convoy of Hope. We've taken, at times, offerings of tens of thousands of dollars. I saw it again just just recently on the news. Disaster, the floods, who was on the front line? I know there were multi-non-government agencies there to help, but the ones the news showed with the big semi-trucks that said Convoy of Hope. And I was so proud, thinking, man, the assemblies of God are on the front lines. They're shining. They're shining. Nicholas Kristof goes on in this article to say, I am not religious in myself, but I stand in awe of those who risk their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that kind of faith mocked at our New York cocktail parties. It's a powerful testimony. Friends, when we allow God to shine through our life, it affects the world around us. And that's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2 as we work through this series, True Freedom. We're free to encourage, we're free to suffer, we're free to shine. There's so much darkness around us. It almost seems like darkness is increasing. But when we follow the one who called himself the light of the world, we should reflect that light. I want the worship team to come back out. We're going to sing that song that we started the service with. Friends, when we walk with him, when we faithfully represent him, we will be like lights in the darkness. I just encourage you, don't blend in. Don't be afraid to be a little different. There's someone out there whose future depends on your shining light. No matter what prison you might be in today, feel free to shine. Amen? Let's stand together.